has a relationship with gender. What's your story? Hello and welcome to Gender Stories with your host, Dr. Alexian Taffy. Hello and welcome to another episode of Gender Story. I'm absolutely delighted to be interviewing uh, Naomi Ortiz for this um, episode. She's a facilitator, writer, poet, and visual artist who cracks apart common beliefs and spills out beauty. And Naomi is a nationally known writer, speaker, and trainer on self-care, disability justice, and living in multiple worlds. So we're going to be talking a lot about intersectionality, which is one of my favorite topics. So I'm incredibly excited about that. She's a disabled, mestiza, Latina, indigenous, white, raised in Latinx culture, living in the U.S.-Mexico borderlands. I'm interviewing Naomi because there is an amazing anthology edited by Alice Wong that's coming out this month in October 2018, called Resistance and Hope, Essays by Disabled People, Creep Wisdom for the People, and I've had the absolute privilege and pleasure to read an advanced review copy. And Gender Stories listeners, I wish I could interview every single author, maybe that could be my project for 2019, of this anthology because there are so many wonderful essays. And I was particularly drawn to Naomi's essay because she also has another book um, out called Sustaining Spirit, Self-Care for Social Justice, um, two of my favorite topics alongside intersectionality. And um, her book, Sustaining Spirits, Self-Care for Social Justice, invites readers to delve into what self-care means in their lives by exploring the relationship between body, mind, spirit, heart, and place to integrate self-care to survive and thrive. I know that's something I struggle with, and I wonder how many of you also struggle with that. So I'm super excited about having conversations about gender and self-care, social justice, and disability with Naomi today. And how do we get to care about the world without burning us out? And also, how do we get to kind of keep cultivating resistance and hope during this time? So welcome, Naomi, and thank you, thank you so much for agreeing to be interviewed. Anything that I've forgotten that I should say about you before we get started? No, I think that's incredible, and yes, I'm so happy to be here. Great, I'm so, this is, I'm just so excited. (laughs) I'm always, one of my favorite parts of doing this podcast is all the amazing people I get to talk to. (laughs) So tell me a little bit, I read your essay, and I absolutely loved it, but tell me a little bit about... Um, the focus for your essay and why you chose to write what you chose to write um, for a collection that was really about resistance and hope at this specific time. Yeah, so I wrote about self-care and hope because uh, to me, I was just observing in activist communities a lot of um, speeding up and feeling fractured uh, in terms of um, needing to respond. I mean, we were responding to a lot before the election and before, you know, um, things like healthcare were under threat. And with the evolution of those things becoming much more urgent, uh, 
you know, I was really wondering how, if self-care could still be part of the conversation for one, I mean, it has to be, I hope, <laughs> but uh, it also, um, you know, it's a question. I mean, it's one of the first things that gets sacrificed and, you know, do self-care and hope connect? That was my other question, mm -hmm. you know, like where does, how do I generate hope within my body and how does self-care actually uh, contribute to like, there being space in my body for hope, does it? So that was really what my essay was around. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and absolutely. And I, and I could, I so agree with so much of what you said, but also when I was reading it, I could feel those echoes in my own body of like, yes, I've, I've seen the sense of urgency and this, you know, and also I'm a therapist and I see so many people burn out and especially folks with marginalized identities and disabled folks like, pushing ourselves beyond what we can do because there is so much work, right, to be done. And so, and it's, um, and the impact of that at the time when already we're having all this kind of um, stress on our collective body, not just our individual body. And, and in a way, that's, that's what I love about this anthology, this just collective body of wisdom uh, you know, Crip Wisdom, as Alice calls it in um, the title. And she, she has this other amazing disability visibility project, which um, if you're all interested in finding out more about, I very much encourage you to check it out. It's called Disability Visibility Project. Lots of really great interviews. And I'm interested in how do you feel um, that uh, gender and disability and your passion for social justice and your passion for kind of self-care all come together, kind of this kind of weird cauldron <laughs> of intersections, let's call it, <laughs> come together in your life as well as your writing, maybe. Yeah, so I think, um, you know, I was thinking a lot about what I understand about gender, mm -hmm. and I feel like, and I'm so, this is where I'm like new and excited to talk to you too, <laughs> um, because I, I couldn't think about gender unless I was thinking about gender norms, like how, you know, we're supposed to show up in society or how society teaches us, our families teach us what gender is. Um, so I didn't know if I could ask you if I was missing something with gender. Sure. Flip those tables, ask away. <laughs> I mean, yes, that's a tricky thing, right? It's, that is such an interesting question because um, at the moment in the UK, especially, I have a lot of um, friends and colleagues in kind of trans community who are getting this backlash about, oh, when, when trans and or non-minary people are talking about gender, they're enforcing gender norms or this, you know, almost as if those gender norms don't exist in society, right? And that it's just the pure existence of trans and or non-binary people makes them true, you know? And, um, and so it's been really interesting to see some of those kind of arguments go around and getting uh, turned around in a fascinating way. And yeah, gender is this weird kind of biopsychosocial experience. So yes, it's kind of hard to think about. So there's those gender norms in our culture. And so we, and they're so dependent on kind of the time and the place we were born in and our family and how they interacted with those norms, right? But then most of us, I would say, have some sense of how we relate to those norms, right? Do we fit in? Do we not fit in with those norms? Um, and then 
And then there's our bodies that have been gendered by culture. <laughs> and now do they fit in or not fit in? And, and so it becomes, yes, it's really complicated. It's so much more complicated than that tiny word gender would give away, right? Which is why I'm endlessly fascinated with this topic and have been since I was in elementary school. <laughs> so, yeah, so it's fascinating to talk to people and be like, what do you how do you feel that gender plays a role in your life like how does it show up yeah well i've been having conversations with um friends and queer community around gender and mostly because i was preparing for this podcast and like okay so how does this actually like help me think about this more and i really want like to sound um like or i want a thoughtful answer i want to give a thoughtful answer in this and the more and more I talked about it in terms of, um, you know, like gender norms, like how we talk about gender and expectations of gender, it was like, the more and more, I didn't know if I could even get to that question about like how gender has impacted me without going through the doorway and the lens of disability first. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm sure that's why it makes everything so complicated, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, race, like I'm very, I'm light skinned, but, you know, I have family from both sides of the line and like, you know, even expectations of gender and that is so intense. Mm -hmm. Um, So, but speaking, because you asked about disability, you know, I think that disabled folks really disrupt gender roles, mostly because I think our bodies are perceived as other and you know we whether it's like a physical disability a sensory disability all the different types of disabilities which are very diverse out there I really think that um, when we interact with people uh, we like disrupt what people assume is okay for like body language and the way we talk and even sometimes um, our tone of voice or what we're actually saying doesn't compute and so it's like we're otherized and I think that otherization happens with gender too um, it's like people can't get that far it's like they get stuck like oh this doesn't make sense you don't make sense to me I can't get past this <laughs> so I think the disruption piece is a really big part of um, what I observe a lot um, and you know, I think because we disrupt so much, we're often seen outside of community. And especially when we're trying to connect and organize or even just, you know, go hang out with our friends and like listen to some music. I mean, that becomes a disruptive challenge. Like we disrupt just entering into that space. Um, So we often exist very much outside of community. and outside of any community, cultural communities, um, you know, like our, the towns we live in, we live outside of that. And I mean, unless people have found crypt community, and then of course that's complicated and has its own layers <laughs> of stuff. <laughs> but, you know, um, for me, it was like a really long journey to kind of get to a place of acceptance of being outside of community And in some ways, there's some freedom to that. Like, there's some freedom to define, well, how do I want to show up in the world? If I'm already, like, disrupting things and people are already in reaction to me, like, in some ways, it gives me a little more choice to push the edges if I want to. Uh, And um, I, I really was interested in 
looked like stepping back and kind of looking at the big picture of what I saw happening in communities. And it was often that because people were part of community, they were socially invested in showing up and participating and being part of things and being part of things in the right way, whatever way that was defined. Um, and so things like self-care were really just not part of the conversation because it, it wasn't actually part of the community. And so for me, like to step back and be in that is how I connected to self-care. And just observing that was, it's just fascinating to me how um, it is a choice sometimes if we do self-care to step outside of community and to potentially risk uh, relationships and such, you know, becoming less intense or less dynamic because we're not as present because we're taking care of ourselves. We take that space. Um, so those are, to me are some of the ways that they connect. And I think, uh, I don't know if you'd like me to go into the different types of self-care. Yeah, you can if you want to. I'm just like listening and taking your lane and I'm having like about 500 thoughts a minute. So <laughs> I can either jump in there or yes, you, you can either go into the different types of self-care or we can pause and, and um, I definitely have follow-up questions. What would you prefer? <laughs> well, I can tell the self-care, um, the types of self-care, because I actually interviewed for the other book. So the anthology is incredible. And I actually would really like to speak to the Crip Wisdom, the, con mm -hmm. the concept of Crip Wisdom. Um, but the book that I just came out with, Sustaining Spirit, um, I interviewed a bunch of different activists on self-care. And so, you know, it's like, in our in media, a lot of times we see self-care is kind of defined as like exercise, eating right, bubble baths, having a glass of wine, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's like a pedicure. <laughs> right, right. Pampering, yeah. which is totally self-care. I mean, that's actually legit, <laughs> yeah. but it's like one type. It's one type of self-care. It's not like all of self-care. So to me, I was defining that type of self-care as body self-care. Mm -hmm. So there's also spiritual self-care, which includes religious practices, meditation, being in nature. There's nourishing self-care, which includes creative expression, gathering inspiration. There's self-care with the mind, which is learning, feeling valued, skill building. There's transformative experiences, which I think are actually especially important for people who do social justice work, which is around spiritual deepening, building intuition, and doing deep emotional work. There's emotional self-care, which includes self-expression, feeling feelings, and accessing relationships. And then there's the self-care of being aware of our own reality, which is really the changing perspective piece, um, which requires a lot of skills, I think, you know, for us to practice a lot and fail a lot <laughs> in trying to do. <laughs> that is some wisdom right there. Yes, <laughs> that's true. Mm -hmm. So those were the types of self-care that, uh, to me, is like, if this can be a foundation for the work I do personally, you know, I could respond from a deeper and more centered place. And then therefore, like, it would impact other people to also hopefully respond from a deeper, more centered place. Mm -hmm. I know at least when people are patient with me and have like um, come at me with kindness, a lot of times I'm able to respond in a much better way, even if I'm really angry. And so it was to me, it was like, this is to me the evolutions of communities I would love to see. It's like, how do we bring in self-care to actually create communities that are stronger? Yeah, I love all of that. And you said that um, 
you know, and to me that does feel so much wisdom around self-care. And then you said, you know, exactly this concept of um, creep wisdom that is so important and that is so core to the anthology. So I wonder if that would be a good segue right now. And there's other stuff I want to go back to around gender disability and, um, and self-care and social justice, but kind of this piece about um, creep wisdom and what does it mean and what does it have to offer outside of crip community, right? Which yes. hopefully this anthology, I think, will get read outside of crip community because as a person with disabilities, I love reading it. And I would love for non-disabled folks to also read it, <laughs> if that makes sense. Right, yeah. yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think disability community is often overlooked as a source of wisdom. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's because whenever, like I was saying, whenever we enter community, cultural, the cities we live in, we enter in a way where we're disrupting that norm and we're asking for access in order to participate. So as disruptors, non-disabled people are just constantly in reaction with us versus engaging with us. So, you know, for example, it's like in the city I live in, um, you know, community activists might reach out to talk about access at like a festival that they're putting together, which is great. I mean, I'm, I guess it's nice to be known that I would know those that information (laughs) but to me that's not actually what I'm passionate about like I'm really actually passionate about poetry and deep work and self-care and I'm not seen as a resource in those other areas because people can only connect with me and only associate with me in terms of what they're kind of afraid of or to have discomfort around which is disability Mm -hmm. um and so I think crip wisdom is overshadowed by the literal act of us showing up into spaces and Alice, who's incredible, she provides such space for Crip Wisdom through her podcast and web presence that you were mm-hmm. talking about. With her reaching out to disabled folks, this anthology is incredible. I mean, we're like in the position of literally having to fight for our, our ability to stay alive, oftentimes in a variety of systems, but also sometimes in the families and the cultural communities we live in. And so yes it's like there is a lot of vulnerability that comes with that and a lot of trauma that comes with that and a lot of wisdom because somehow we have to figure it out somehow we have to we have to live whether it's you know the the answers that's going to be like the most useful for the longest run that's like another question um or whether it's a coping mechanism in the moment but i think what's so cool about this anthology is like alice reached out to several folks who had really done some deep deep thinking about this and so most of the the chapters talk about hope and resistance and how to how hope can exist in these times and i just think it's incredible absolutely and i i think it's interesting um that phrase like how hope can can um, resist in this time, right? And we've had those times before, and I think that's the wisdom that a lot of marginalized folks have to to offer during this historical time, whether it's um, here in what is currently called the U.S. or kind of on other lands where there's also, you know, there's been such a rise of fascism and totalitarianism. I can never say that word. Basically, totalitarian regimes, (laughs) let's call them. Um, uh, Totalitarian or something like that, I think is the word that I'm trying to pronounce, kind of all across the globe in lots of different places, right? And there is something that um, 
disabled folks and trans and non-binary folks and black and brown folks and indigenous folks know about resistance and hope. And that's one of the things I really love about the anthology is that it is really those intersections, you know, in so many different ways are there in the different essays, right? It's, um, it's crip wisdom, but it's also all those other intersections. It's intersectional wisdom, right? It's crip intersectional wisdom. And I'm so grateful yeah. you're like clarifying that because when I talk about crip, I automatically think that it's like super diverse because we're mm -hmm. everywhere in every <laughs> cultural community. <Yeah. laughs> Part of like a lot of, lot of folks. So I thank you for, yes. And I think that's most, I think most of the folks in the anthology are part of multiple communities, which is, I mean, unbelievably beautiful to write from that place. Yeah. And it's also challenging, right? It's like when we were talking kind of circling back to the beginning of this conversa conversation where you were like, I, the way I enter gender is through, I, I'm paraphrasing maybe, but you said something about this doorway of disability. And I was like, yes, absolutely. Right. It's, can we even think about gender from a non-intersectional perspective, right? And what is the aspect of our life that's on the foreground for whatever reason in whichever moment, right? Mm. And disability, like the way you put it about the, the othering, you know, that happens, the belonging, not belonging, and um, that came to mind when I was listening to that um, is this idea that, yes, once people see you as a disabled person, it's almost like, all those other things that apply to other people kind of fall away or come in the background, right? Or are not as visible. And, you know, and there's a lot of really amazing um, literature over the years around the infantilization of disabled folks, right? For example, when it comes to sexuality, but also the degendering in lots of ways of disabled folks, right? So that how can we kind of tease all those parts away? Right. Like, I agree that I was like, yes, I agree with you. When I think about cripism, I'm like, it's definitely intersectional in, in a similar way in which um, a lot of um, uh, kind of more marginalized communities almost have to be intersectionals by um, by need and necessity. Right. Like, <laughs> because otherwise we it's that need for survival <laughs> that help us find each other. <laughs> even yes. in the larger social justice movements or rooms, right? Oh, yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so I'm kind of curious to kind of circle back to thinking about <clears throat> that crucible of intersectional crip wisdom and thinking about that um, intersection of kind of gender and race and leaving, you literally live in a borderland, um, you know, like leaving at the borders um, geographically, but also leaving at the borders culturally and then kind of, I don't know, that's where my mind is going. Am I making any sense? And is anything coming up for you in this direction in which my mind is going right now? Yeah, I think about it a lot because I live here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I'm sure a lot of your listeners live in borderlands too, mm -hmm. you know, whether it's like real borderlands or borderlands in community or, or mm -hmm. family. Um, yes, I mean, I think there is a loneliness in the borderlands because it's not one place and it's not another defined place. It's somewhere in the middle between the two. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes the beautiful parts of that is sometimes there's some intermixing and kind of the best of both worlds. 
and also the the worst of both worlds <laughs> can exist in and borderlands areas um also more kind of militant attention to and policing of borderlands i mean and that's very much in in real space uh, you know i drive through checkpoints uh moving through this side of of the border um every day uh that's just part of our reality and um I think to me, one of the things that I really like writing about and have kind of cultivated in living here is there is also to me what I call spaciousness in borderlands, mm -hmm. meaning like there's a little more um, fluidity, possibility, uh, like you're able to kind of push a little further in other ways. It's not as crowded uh, because, you know, um, I'd say in like kind of the metaphorical uh, borderlands, you know, people don't like being here. It's like we like to have some clarity about like where we fit, where we don't fit. Um, so there's some spaciousness, which I think is actually really incredible that allows us to pause and take in uh, what we're experiencing and potentially kind of redefine how we re-enter whether it's like one side of the line or the other, um, one world or the other, you know, I think that that spaciousness is really valuable to me. I love that idea of kind of redefining how we re-enter. As somebody who's uh, <clears throat> lived as an immigrant, more uh, like a larger part of my life than actually being indigenous to place. So I, I lived where I was born for 22 years and then I lived as an immigrant for 25 years there's something about how am I going to be, I'm, I'm never going to belong to, um, you know, this Dakota Nation of the land currently known as Minneapolis, Minnesota, on which I live completely. I can have a deep relationship. I can have deep commitment. I can even marry the land and the river and have deep devotion and relationship to the land and the people. Um, and this is not where I came from, right? And I still have this relationship to my, um, ancestral land and in sense of indigeneity and, and I live in between within myself and and in my house where there's like two languages spoken you know um, and now three different cultures <laughs> between all the people who live in the house right and 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 all these different pieces and this idea of then um, how am I going to be in relationship to those things right and so I'm really curious about um, whether you thought about how in your life, um, how, you know, in, in a way I'm thinking about like how disabled folks also have this choice, then how do I get to be in relationship with gender, right? For example, as somebody who presents more masculine, often there is an expectation that uh, because of the idea we have a masculinity of gender norms in, in kind of dominant Anglo culture, that I'll be strong, that one show my feelings in a certain way, right, which might also be different from expectations of when I go visit uh, my family in Italy, uh, and even then different regional expectations. Um, and so I got to negotiate, how do I want to be in relationship to those expectations with my disabled body that mine, that cannot actually perform <laughs> certain expectations, right? And so there's this almost this, this spaciousness, but also ongoing negotiation 
Um, and then, you know, this kind of outsider insider thing that happens and this, this, um, so yeah, how, how are you dancing that dance? So I have, I have a sense in my body of how I'm dancing that dance in lots of different ways. And, and I'm very aware of how my dance changes depending on where I am, like literally like how I negotiate space and relationship and, and my body like uh, in Sicily or in Rome or like here where I live, like how that changes and how that's changed over time. And, and now that's been such a fluid, ever shifting dance. <laughs> so, yeah. So I was curious about your dance with like disability and gender and, uh, um, and race, ethnicity and self-care and kind of all of those things we've been talking about. If you want to share anything about that. Yeah, that's such a good question. Sorry. I think like, the first word that comes to my head is tension. Like it's it's living in a lot of tension all the time. It's sort of like, uh, you know, it's like you're alert. You're like, okay, this is happening. And it's exhausting. You know, it's like kind of being stretched like all the time. Um, you know, I think that there's like also these different, one of the things I feel like I've really had to do, and I'll take this from like a self-care perspective, because I actually like write some about this, is like for me to prepare to be in space with people, I actually have to prepare to be in space with people, mm-hmm. which is like exhausting. And so <laughs> like some, I feel like some days I, I semi-resent it. Like seriously, it takes a lot of energy just to like exist in this world. Jeez, you know? Um, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> And, you know, it's like if I want to enter in, let's say, with like my family or, you know, cultural space, as a disabled person, especially in Latino culture um, or Latinx culture, there is such intensive um, expectations and like scripts of how you're supposed to be disabled in that space. Um, And it is very much like oh, you can be here, but you're not going to necessarily be included. Like people aren't going to make an effort to talk to you or to interact with you, but like you being there is fine, which is often different in like, to me, um, I would say dominant culture spaces, white spaces where it's like, I don't know if it's okay for you to be here, but you're here. And so, you know, maybe I'll interact with you or I might be more open to like having a conversation with you. Right. So like it's one, it's like been, just years of the trial and error of like, what the hell is happening when I'm in this space and understanding that on some level. And then it's like, okay, how do I then prepare myself, my heart, my spirit when I enter into spaces to hopefully be okay. (laughs) You know, and oftentimes it's like, I can't control other people. I can't control these like social norms or how people come at me. And that sucks. Like, I'm really excited for the day where I might be benevolent dictator of the world (laughs) and change everything. (laughs) But, you know, it's like if I can only shift myself and my own experience, it's like, how do I, okay, engage with people? Maybe I find somebody who I'm really interested in talking to or who's willing to, like, have a conversation that, you know, is around a topic I'm interested in. Or if I'm not, it's like, okay, well, how can I take some space in this moment? Can I go outside? Can I look at the stars? Can I like go sit next to a plant and just interact with this plant and be like, oh, look at these beautiful leaves or flowers or thorns that are, that's on this plant. Like for me, it's like broadening my world to not just be people, 
but to also include place and other things that can be available to be comfortable in comfort with instead of intention with. So it's like entering spaces of, okay, this is going to be tension and there's also going to be things that I can be in comfort with um, that probably aren't going to be human. So that's, that's how I would answer that, I guess. I love that answer. That, and yeah, I, I was like getting teary listening to you talk about this and really kind of really noticing how much that resonates for me of like that paradox of bo- holding both tension and comfort when we leave in it's kind of liminal spaces. And, and I think that is a lot of what is to be found in crypt wisdom as well is that paradox of being able to be present in both. And, and I think the ability to be present to resistance and hope because of the ability of being present to despair and pain also, right? Like, ah, oh, and just kind of embracing it all and kind of what do we pay attention? Like, I, I love what you said about how do I prepare my heart to enter certain spaces, right? That intentionality of that um, and the labor, of that like you said it's exhausting oh yes that's real that labor is real (laughs) right (laughs) and something we never talk to each other about I mean you and I could seriously have a conversation about doing that labor right yes have you had like a conversation with a friend about that I I don't know if I have even (laughs) only with without our disabled folks right it's like like how and and that almost um I think it's Mia Mingus that talks about access intimacy and kind of a few months ago I was uh with a kind of a newer friend who also has disabilities and we got super excited talking about access intimacy, <laughs> how much of that can be like um, bonding and immediate when somebody sees like without having to explain or talk, even just like your access need in the space and kind of responds to that and is aware of that and is connected through that. And it's just, it, and all the labor, right? Cause it is so much labor that so many people are not aware of all the time. Yes. And, and then, of course, the lip, yes. And then how that works also in terms of intersections and other labor, like some labor. That, I'm sure your that, listeners yeah. right now are like, yes, like, let me raise my hand. <laughs> yeah. we, we have a collective conversation about all the labor. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> oh, well, I could just keep talking and talking about those topics. And I also want to be really respectful of the free labor of love that is to be interviewed for this podcast. So I'm just kind of going to just ask you if there's anything we haven't talked about that you were really super keen to mention or talk about or that I've overlooked or anything like that. I just wanted to be very clear. So we've been talking some about the anthology that Alice Wong collected, a bunch of amazing writers, and it's called Resistance and Hope. And that talks about perspective and tools people have found for kind of this like onslaught of distress is basically kind of what I would <laughs> how I would name it. And also like how to find hope and and uh, just comfort maybe even in in this in this place. And then the second book we were talking about was a book that I came out with this year called Sustaining Spirit, Self-Care for Social Justice, Mm -hmm. which to me is my offering to the world to support folks to explore self-care deeper and all the different types of self-care and to develop support systems that aren't just people um, in terms of uh, thriving, hopefully, Um, because that's my ultimate goal. It's like, I don't want to just survive. I want to thrive, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which sounds kind of gimmicky, but it's so true. It's like, also like, please let that be my life, you know? (laughs) 
Um, so those were the only things that I, I was just wanting to make very clear because the anthology is incredible. And I'm really excited about sharing the book with the world too. Yeah, absolutely. So yes, I'm going to kind of make sure I reiterate that once more, that there is an amazing anthology coming out October 2018 called Resistance and Hope, Essays by Disabled People, Crip Wisdom for the People, that's edited by Alice Wong. We've also mentioned kind of um, Alice's Disability Visibility Project. There kind of, you can find that on Patreon. There's a website, Disability Visibility disabilityvisibilityproject.com. You can follow the project on Twitter at Disvisibility. Um, I really encourage you to check that out. And then we've also talked about Naomi Ortiz's book, Sustaining Spirit, Self-Care for Social Justice. And if you want to kind of um, book Naomi for a speaking gig or a workshop or just kind of want to find out more about her amazing work, you can go to our website, which is naomiortiz.com. And you can, I think, follow her on Twitter at Think Freestyle and find her on Instagram at Naomi Ortiz, writer, artist. Have I missed any ways in which uh, listeners can find you and find your book and also, um, you know, find all the other wonderful things we've been talking about? No, I think you covered it. It's so great. And I, one of the things I'm excited about doing actually is potentially, not potentially, this is happening, um, some online book groups where I want to do basically kind of like workshops around the book with folks online using oh, yes. um, Zoom or whatever. Uh, so, yep. So you can find info on that on uh, my website too. Good. I'm, I'm going to go and look that up because I definitely want to join that. That sounds an amazing way to kind of go through the book and, uh, yeah, the timing has just been exquisite because my writing partner, Mac John Barker, and I are also working on a self-care workbook um, because that self-care zine and then our publisher liked it. So it's like, how amazing it is that we get to talk about self-care all the time. So I'm, I'm going to be in that book group probably. That's incredible. I'm excited to hear about that. <laughs> yes, I was like, we could talk for a long time. I have a feeling... <laughs> Well, for now, um, kind of, we're going to close this episode, but um, listeners, I really encourage you to check out the anthology, check out Naomi's book. And of course, if you want to find out more about gender as ever, you can also check out my book, How to Understand Your Gender, the practical guide for exploring who you are. And thank you so much for listening. And until next time, please take beautiful care of yourselves. Thank you. Mm-hmm.